From the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy, your Matzoval soup of podcasts. Speaking of which, we are back for season three and kicking things off with a live episode featuring a Passover tale from Emily Schultz, who shared her story at a very special schmaltzy salon. Emily is a social media professional who loves long walks on the beach, dirty martinis, and crispy chicken cutlets. Not necessarily in that order. On today's episode, we'll hear Emily's story and our one-on-one interview, both recorded live at Eastwood on the Lower East Side. Here's Emily. When I worked in an office, one of my favorite ways to procrastinate was to go down to the test kitchen, yes, that one, and make myself an unnecessary 3 p.m. coffee. One afternoon, as my espresso was dripping out, I noticed chocolate and coconut macaroons on a sheet tray cooling off with a do not eat sign on it. Damn, that would have gone great with my coffee. I went back up to my desk and opened Twitter. I saw Food and Wine's best brisket recipe, Eater's 10 best matzo ball soups in New York City. I opened my Google calendar and it hit me. Passover was in 10 days and I had no plans in sight. Suddenly I had this vision of myself sitting on my couch, totally alone eating matzo and butter while all of my coworkers snapped aspirational tablescapes from their satyrs for their Instagram story. Growing up, Passover was where my immediate family had the chance to shine. We spent Jewish holidays with my dad's side of the family, and we hosted Passover. It was the best. My grandma, who we called my mom, would come up for a week in preparation. We'd pull the leaf of our dining room table out to make room for everyone and Elijah. I would help chop apples for Heroset and dare my sister to eat the horseradish. We weren't really religious, more cultural Jews, I would say, but there was something about the ritual performance of the Passover Seder that I loved. My dad actually made our Haggadahs, about 90% of it was in English. My sibling Haley and cousin Julia, the youngest in the family, would recite the four questions and everyone would join together in the dramatic reading of Dayenu. For as long as I had known, this was Passover in the Schultz family. But then in 2014, I went to college, and things changed. My dad was drinking a lot, and it definitely ruined the relationship between us, as well as him and my mom. They were teetering on the edge of divorce. But... I graduated college, moved to New York, and became a real-life adult. I was figuring things out like how to pay taxes and how to do my laundry living in a six-floor walk-up. I didn't change my sheets that often. (laughs) A few years later, my parents got divorced, and my dad wasn't in my life. Jewish holidays during that period definitely took a back seat. Bringing me to that moment where I had absolutely no plans for Passover. Passover was so important in my life growing up, and now I was sitting there with nothing. 
I had been going 90 miles an hour, and there I was in one world trade in a shitty swivel chair, forced to slow down and reflect. I had a decision to make if the Jewish traditions that I had grown up with were things that I wanted to continue in my adult life. And it took that moment for me to realize that, yeah, I did want to continue those traditions. I did want to be Jewish. I love to host events. I was in my first New York City apartment that was big enough for a dining room table. So after a few phone calls to my mom and some reflecting, I decided I would host Passover. But here's the thing. My friends are not Jewish. They're the type of non-Jews that hadn't even been to a bat mitzvah, let alone a Passover Seder. And a Passover Seder can be a little overwhelming. I wanted them to get it, but would they? I wanted them to understand why it was so important to me. But they all agreed to come. So I put my anxiety aside and focused on something I knew I would excel at, which was making the menu, of course. Anytime I even mentioned a Jewish holiday to this crew, they immediately went to matzo ball soup and latkes. On to the main course. I wouldn't be able to have brisket or roast chicken like I had grown up with because I was living in Brooklyn in 2018 and two of my friends were pescatarians. <laughs> so I decided to roast whole red snapper. That works. I made a salsa verde inspired by Heroset, grated apples, garlic, parsley, walnuts, salt, pepper, you know, the whole thing. My friends may not have known what Heroset was or that you eat latkes on Hanukkah and not Passover, but I wanted to make good food that they would enjoy. Next, it was time to game plan the Seder. My sister Molly lived in Brooklyn at the time, so she dug up my dad's very English and, at this point, very beat-up Haggadah, and we made a Seder highlight reel. The Ten Plagues, Four Questions, and, of course, Dayenu. The time had finally come. It was the day of the Seder. The food was staying warm in the oven. The table was set. The abridged Haggadah was ready to go. And as everyone shuffled in and popped their wine in the fridge or handed over the paper towel rolls, which I asked the less reliable friends to bring, <laughs> I got nervous. Would I be able to lead a Seder? And would I be able to lead a Seder and make it meaningful for people who had never experienced a Seder? But Molly was to my right, and we went on. We explained the significance of the Seder, what a Haggadah was, and why we had an extra chair that no one could sit in. My sibling Haley had come up for the Seder and, being the youngest there, would recite the four questions. As they were manish tanaying away, I noticed several people texting. I hadn't heard Haley do the four questions since our family Seders growing up, so I gave the death stare to everyone. Next, it was the ten plagues. Blood, frogs, lice. People were sipping their wine instead of dipping their fingers into it. I thought I told everyone the drinking portion was paused for a minute, but clearly not. 
On to Dayenu, my favorite part. This was really important to me because my whole life I had seen my dad and my uncle lead Dayenu, and finally, I was the adult leading Passover, and it was my turn. I had just lost about everyone's attention span, but with each line of Dayenu, I just kept getting louder and louder. <laughs> they may not have joined in, but they definitely heard me. Finally, it was time to eat. As we passed the very non-traditional fish around for everyone to take a helping, I realized just how non-traditional the whole night was. We didn't even spend 15 minutes on the Seder. But that was okay. I looked around at my siblings, who I had known my whole life, my college friends, and their significant others, who were new to me, laughing, eating, and drinking. This was definitely not what I thought about a Seder was growing up, but for me, it was exactly what a Seder was supposed to be. Thank you. <laughs> so, gonna have a little fun. Might get a little deep. Are you mm -hmm. ready? I was born ready. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so once again, Emily, thank you so much for sharing your story. It was really beautiful. I know how hard you worked. Thank you. Free therapy sesh. <laughs> no, you'll get your bill later. <laughs> Great. You just moved back to New York after some time away, right? Yes, I did. How are you liking it? Literally couldn't be happier. So what was one thing that you missed when you were away? And what was one thing you didn't miss? I missed everything and I didn't miss nothing. Like, I love New York. I, like, truly do. So I didn't not miss anything. I missed everything. Subway rats? Yes. <laughs> Better than, like, bad drivers. So you're living in Williamsburg, right? Yes. Doesn't have to be in that neighborhood, but what was one place, like, that you were really rooting for during the pandemic to, like, stay here with us? yeah. So I lived in Greenpoint before I moved to Maine for two years. I'm bad at having neighborhood restaurants because I feel like when I was working in food media, we like had to go try things all the time. And then by the time I wasn't trying things, I was like sick of eating out, which is very privileged, but true. But my one neighborhood restaurant, which is kind of in between both of my old and new neighborhoods is Bernie's. Um, which I love so much. I love Frankel's as well. They own that too. So yeah, love you, Taylor and Zach. Sweet. So there was not so many good like bagels and stuff in, in Maine or were there? There is a very good bagel place called Rose Foods, um, which was great. I think I was the only person to order white fish salad though there, which it's just like I need to be around my people more. The white fish salad appreciators. You're here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So from bagels, we're going to go back to Passover. What I was very curious about is like how you see the difference between a dinner party and a Seder. The obvious part is like the Seder itself. I didn't grow up with doing Shabbat at home, saying Jewish prayers at home, really, unless it was Passover or Hanukkah, of course. So I feel like those were really like special times in my family and 
There's like the memorabilia, like the Seder plate. There's all these like trinkets and items that make it like so much more like special. And you only do that that one specific time of year. Um, so I feel like it's almost this once a year, like super special thing that is different than a dinner party, which can be any day you want. It's like a super special dinner party. Do you think that any of the themes around the Passover story, and we can do a, you know, a quick recap, it's about freedom, <laughs> it's about miracles, but do you think that those themes are relevant in 2022? So like through the lens of an American, I think we've been really fortunate to be very like comfortable when like world issues happen. And I feel like in the past two years, we've almost been like Pharaoh and forced to really like realize all the like bad things that are happening in the world that we've been able to like sort of push aside. And in the last couple of years, we've more so had to face them than I feel like I ever had growing up very comfortably in Southern New Jersey. So yeah, I felt like that was an interesting parallel. I've always been more of a cultural Jew and I've really like, um, aligned myself and like understood and agreed with like Judaism when it was more about like community um, rather than, you know, the actual religious portion, just for myself speaking here. So yeah, I, I always thought it was like an interesting story that like you knew and I knew and that's what like binded us together in this like bigger world with like a lot of other people in it. Love that. Thanks. Good to think about. Yeah. Always be thinking. <laughs> okay, so I want to get to your professional life a little bit. Yeah. So you describe yourself as a social media professional. Yes. How do you differentiate kind of what you do for work or for clients and your personal like online persona on social media? Mm -hmm. I don't. Okay. <laughs> um, but I think... I'm not like a good separator of things. Like for me, like everything is just me and I don't like to hide my personality. I'm loud and I talk with my hands and stuff like that. Um, and that's who I am at work and also who I am in real life. So yeah, for me, it's like, it's all right here. And if you don't like that, that's like totally fine. There's another person that will do the job better um, for what you specifically need, which is not what I'm going to give you. Have you noticed more online social media content about being Jewish over the past few years? For sure. Yeah, I think there's like a lot of different avenues that takes. I feel like, yeah, there's there's definitely a ton of that. I think I was talking to my boyfriend about like people celebrating Hanukkah on social media more, which I think has like a couple different avenues. Obviously, I think everyone during the past couple of years has been just like turning to like comforting things. And that's comforting for me. And also I was home during Hanukkah. I got I'm lucky enough to work from home, whereas, you know, maybe in previous years I would have like a dinner to attend or like I was at work late and I couldn't light the candles. But over the past couple of years, I've been able to also I think there's more like cool brands that make menorahs that are Instagrammable and you want them. My my menorah is from a girl that I DM'd on Instagram asking if she she's a ceramicist and she made these cool like macaroni-esque like squiggly menorahs and I bought it from her via Instagram DM. So do you think it's like part 
trendiness or part people feeling more comfortable to share that, you know, to share this side of themselves and and their Judaism on something as public as social media? Yeah, I think I feel like I'm seeing it with like all cultures. For example, now is like now Ruse and I'm seeing it a lot on my Instagram, which I think is super cool because I didn't grow up with that holiday and I'm learning a lot about like the foods and the traditions that you eat just from like my friends sharing it on Instagram. So yeah, I think everyone is like very into that. I also am now at an, I'm 28. So I feel like I'm more at an age where like people want to do that. Whereas maybe when I was younger, it was like, not, not as cool, but like I said in my story, just something I wasn't even thinking about. Now I'm like more settled and figuring out like the adult that I want to be. And that's important to me. So I want to like make an effort to do that. You know, you shared so honestly about your family and your relationship with your father and and how you eventually took over kind of the role that he played and you are the oldest as the adult. And so as a few years have passed, how do you, you know, continue this tradition and what does it mean to you to be the leader of a Seder? Yeah. I think it's interesting and I want to continue doing it. I feel like my mom converted to Judaism when she married my dad, but she's very into it still. So actually the first year of the pandemic, I was talking to my dad. So we did like a Zoom Seder all together and my mom wasn't included in that. And it was like a little bit of a drama moment. But I feel like now I want to include her in that too so yeah maybe I'll invite her up but yeah I I'm I'm the oldest in many ways I think in my family and so it just is a natural fit for me to also lead the Seder and yeah but I think Molly Haley and I are all sort of like discovering what Judaism means to us as adults so we're all on similar but different journeys there do they appreciate what you're doing? As a fellow older, I'm always like, is my sister appreciating what I'm doing? Like, do they appreciate what you do? I hope so. Okay. That's all you can do is hope. <laughs> Diplomatic. Okay, very, very last question. Who would be your dream Seder guest? If you could have anyone come, it could be one or two people. Who would be your dream guest? OMG. <laughs> Christine Baranski. Okay, she knew. Okay. Christine Baranski, if you're listening to this episode, you have an open invite to Emily Sater. I love you in the Gilded Age. Just let us know. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Happy Passover. Thank you. Happy Passover. And thank you to everyone for being here today. It really was a pleasure. That was Emily Schultz. Thank you for listening. I'll meet you back here next week. Until then, head to jewishfoodsociety.org for Passover recipes from around the world. Schmaltzy is a production of Jewish Food Society, made with love in NYC. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get this show, so you don't miss any of the stories. Schmaltzy is produced and edited by Gal Shaya and Particle 3. Our executive producer is Nama Sheffi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. This episode was recorded live by Daniel Bloch. I'm your host, Amanda Dell.